0: Section thirty of the Mary Frances Storybook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. The Mary Frances Storybook by Jane Eyre Fryer. Anne catches a thief as a rule the office in which Anne carstairs was employed did not close until six o'clock but at five thirty on the december afternoon of this story Anne found herself alone at four the heads of the firm left for the day and the billing clerk and the stenographer taking advantage of the absence of authority helped themselves to an extra half hour "'We have a little shopping to do,' the billing clerk explained as they passed Anne's desk. Before they reached the stair door, the inside salesman closed his desk with a snap and seized his hat and coat. "'Wait a minute, girls,' he called. "'I'll take you down to Broadway in my machine.' As he followed them, he said to Anne, "'Good night, Miss Carstairs. Don't stay late.' A few minutes after they had gone, Mr. Bradford, the bookkeeper, closed the safe and twirled the nickel-knob gaily. "'I'm off, too,' he announced. "'I'm going to leave the vault for you to close tonight, Miss Anne.' He shrugged himself into his overcoat and departed stiffly. He had worked hard over his books that afternoon, and his legs and arms were aching in unison with his head he came back for a moment to turn off some of the big lights no use wasting electricity he explained no one will be in this evening and a little girl like you can't use all this light a minute later anne heard the street door at the foot of the stairs close with a bang and she was left all alone in the big office she was not sorry to be alone The day had been hard, and her nerves had been near the breaking point all the afternoon. The switchboard was Anne's special charge, but she also took care of the odds and ends of copywork and dictation for her busy associates. Odds and ends have a curious way of accumulating, and Anne seldom had a spare moment. "'I am just dead tired,' she declared aloud raising her arms above her head in a vain effort to relieve their ache i am always snowed under with work yet no one seems to think i have anything to do it's just miss carstairs will you copy that for me i'll give you a letter now miss carstairs and you can run it off in your spare time spare time did anyone ever see me with a moment to spare they don't think i amount to a row of pins anyway i'd just like to show them i'd like to let mr ross see that i do amount to something mr ross was the senior partner of the big manufacturing plant and eighteen-year-old Anne admired him immensely he was so calm so quiet and yet so forceful, a splendid businessman, but one whose family's wants and wishes were cared for before all else. Anne knew he must be an ideal father, for he possessed all the qualities that Anne's own father had lacked. Mr. Carstairs had been far from an ideal parent, and had ended his selfish, careless life just as anne was preparing to enter college anne and her mother had bravely gathered together what money remained and anne started off to a business school instead for three months she worked feverishly day and night and at the end of that time when their finances were in a precarious condition she left the school to enter the manufacturing firm of ross and hayward she had been there for nearly two years now years of worry and careful planning to make the slender salary cover growing needs we have almost proved that the necessities of life are unnecessary so nearly we have come to getting along on next to nothing she had laughingly told her mother only the evening before but though she joked about it the situation was becoming serious and Anne had reached the place where she felt that she must steel herself to the point of asking for more wages. Do people always have to ask for an increase, she wondered. Everybody here treats me as if I were a child, except when it comes to giving me work. That's a different matter. Anne did not, as a rule, complain about the amount of work she had to do. Instead, she was rather proud of being able to accomplish so much in a single day. Tonight, however, she was tired and all out of sorts. She felt, too, that her looks were all against her. Curly hair and freckles, adding to a diminutive figure, gave her a decidedly childlike appearance. "'I wish,' she declared to herself— i wish i were tall and had straight hair and wrinkles around my mouth what chance has anyone to advance when she is short and freckled i just must make them sit up and take notice she glanced around her with a proprietary look as she spoke her desk and switchboard were in the outer office near the head of the short flight of stairs leading from the street door, and commanded a view of the entrance door and the stairway leading to the upper floors. At the extreme end of the room was the entrance to the stockroom, and beside it the great iron door leading to the vault where the business records were kept. In the dark corner by the vault door stood two tall piles of sales books. Since the bookkeeper had turned off the extra lights, the big office was lighted only by the globe above Anne's head. The heavy presses and machinery in the factory, running at full speed, shook the building, and their roar and clatter sounded unusually loud, now that the office was quiet. The switchboard was never busy after half-past five, and anne leaned back in her chair and closed her eyes for a moment she opened them almost immediately with a start suddenly aware of another presence in the big office the new janitor a scraggly feathered duster in his hand stood by her desk do you want something anne asked sharply she did not approve of the new janitor his hair was too long and shaggy his chin too stubby and his bushy eyebrows shaded eyelids that were drooped his appearance was in accord with his shiftless way of dusting and sweeping and thought with disfavor her voice was decidedly sharp as she aghast again do you want something i wanted to see the cashier the man answered his drooping eyelids gave a peculiar leering expression to his face that filled Anne with repulsion. Then she braced herself. No matter how afraid she was, he must not know it. He is gone for the day. Come back in the morning, she said, turning to her typewriter to cut the conversation short. The man hesitated for a moment, but her preoccupied air chilled him, and Anne soon heard him walk away at that moment a tall young woman came hurrying down the stairs from the upper floor i declare she cried looking about the darkened office everybody has gone home and mr bradford has locked the safe now will you tell me miss carstairs what am i going to do with all this money she waved a green cardboard box in the air as she spoke her voice rising higher and higher in her agitation i have collected eight hundred dollars on those liberty bond payments and here mr bradford has locked the safe and gone home i'm going to the country tonight and i can't take all this money with me shh miss benson Anne warned glancing quickly at the swing door that had not yet ceased swaying after the departing janitor, "'Don't tell anyone. Can't you put it in the vault? Mr. Bradford left it for me to lock tonight.' "'But,' Miss Benson objected, "'something may happen to it, and I'm responsible. I can't take it with me, though. I have to put it in there, I guess.' "'See, Miss Carstairs,' she called a moment later from the depths of the vault i'm putting it beside the stamp-box with miss benson's departure the big office suddenly seemed doubly large and dim and empty anne shivered slightly appalled by the fact that she was alone with eight hundred dollars in cash in the open vault the factory machinery made such a din that none of the employees could hear if she called for help. What would she do if the janitor had overheard Miss Benson and should make up his mind to steal the money? She glanced sharply at the swinging door. It was quiet now. She reassured herself. I'm as nervous as Miss Benson. I'll just shut that vault now, though, and have it over with. It is almost six o'clock, anyway. At that moment, a call came in on the telephone, the strident whirr startling the girl with its suddenness. "'Ross and Hayward,' she answered mechanically into the receiver. "'Miss Carstairs, it was Mr. Ross speaking. I left a couple of Liberty Bonds in my desk. Please tell Bradford to put them into the safe.' "'Mr. Bradford has gone for the day, Mr. Ross,' she answered, "'but he has left the vault for me to close. "'I'll put them in.' "'All right. Put them in the stamp, boss. "'I'll guess they'll be all right there. "'Good night.' and pulled out the plug and rose from her desk. "'Her rubber-soled shoes made no noise as she crossed the room. "'She found the bonds face down on Mr. Ross's desk,' and as she picked them up she could not fail to notice the denominations she stared at them two thousand dollars she whispered awestruck if only they were mine as she started to place them in the stamp box its shabbiness caught her eye she hesitated then laid the bonds down i'll get a new box for the stamps she decided snapping off the light as she left the vault. Anne knew just where to find the particular box that she wanted and did not stop to turn on the light as she entered the stockroom. She was in the act of reaching up for the box when the door stealthily opened. She shrank back against the shelves as the new janitor came in. He stopped for a moment and glanced around. Then, a minute later, Anne heard the snap of the electric button as the light in the vault was turned on. She gasped in dismay. The bonds and the Liberty Loan money were all in plain sight. For a brief moment, the girl was paralyzed with fright. The janitor was after the money. She rushed forward. As she paused by the open doorway of the vault, she had a momentary glimpse of the janitor with the green box in one hand and heard the familiar crackly paper of the bonds as he hurriedly thrust them in his pocket in a panic she caught the huge iron door and slammed it shut hurriedly throwing the big bolt in place i got him she gasped exultantly but the words had not left her lips before she was knocked from her feet by a sudden blow on her shoulder as she fell another stunning blow came upon her head a minute later so it seemed to the girl she opened her eyes to find mr ross and his daughter margaret bending over her she's coming too now she could faintly hear mr ross say bathe her head some more then he added jokingly well now miss anne you certainly gave us a start what were you trying to do anne's head ached agonizingly she lifted her hand to her forehead and felt it gingerly a lump as large as a walnut was there just above the temple she became aware now that the mist was fading from her eyes and the ringing from her ears that the factory was quiet all the noise of the machinery had ceased what time is it she asked and then without waiting for an answer where did you come from it is after eight we were driving by on our way to see a friend on the east side and i thought i would drop in and see if you had remembered to lock the safe mr ross laughed fortunately for you that i doubted your ability anne raised her head and looked about her then she dropped it heavily back on the improvised pillow miss ross had tucked under her head it was that old sales book that knocked me down it must have been on the edge of the pile and tipped over when i slammed the door she felt a bump on her head again i suppose i hit the wrapping desk when i fell it wouldn't take much to knock out a little thing like you mr ross laughed Anne opened her eyes again a thought flashed through her mind as she sat bolt upright on the floor mr ross she said can i prove to you i was big enough to save you two thousand dollars would you think me big enough to be given an increase in salary?' "'I sure would, Miss Carstairs,' Mr. Ross answered, becoming suddenly grave. Anne's voice shook with excitement. "'Your bonds are safe in the vault, Mr. Ross, together with $800 that Miss Benson collected on Liberty Loan payments and the new janitor.' "'You're a very brave girl,' said mr ross helping her to her feet the increase is yours you have certainly earned it she was indeed a brave girl said the story king as the story lady paused and deserved all her good fortune the next went on the story lady smiling is a story of a young man and a young woman whose only ambition in life Was to help others. End of section thirty recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, b c.